You're listening to an audio sermon from Hope Bible Church in Oakville, Ontario. For more information, please visit our website at hopeoakville.ca. So I'm going to say a few things after I say it. You say hallelujah. Can we go to shouting, Rob? Is that okay? I don't know if that's a shouting church, but we are now, right? He reigns. He rose. He's the king of heaven. He's the lamb of God. Savior of the world, King of kings, Lord of lords, our Savior, wonderful counselor, almighty God, Jesus. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. All right, I tricked you. Have a seat if you would. (laughs) Amen. How can you not love that? One of my professors used to say, if that doesn't bless you, your blesser's busted. So uh, we'll pray for you at the end of the service. So. Thank you so much, Robbie, for that wonderful introduction. Love this church. Robbie, Robbie has become a 5G friend. I know everybody's into 5G. This is the real 5G. He's godly, he's gifted, he's gracious, he's generous, and he's gutsy. Amen? Amen. <laughs> he believes God for great things, and so do you, and you've been such a big part of uh, my life. Uh, Robbie has a... Uh, prayer request he sends out on email, and I'm part of that, and I get to pray for you from a distance, and it's always good to be back and see the Lord's answer to those prayers in and through uh, so many of you. I invite you to take your Bible, turn with me to 1 John chapter 3, not the Gospel of John, which is the fourth big letter or, or account, but toward the back, there are three little epistles by John, the follower, the disciple, the beloved of Christ, 1 John chapter 3. And today, our topic is responding to doubt, or in Canada, responding to doubt. Um, Just make sure you understand what I'm saying, all right? Before we uh, jump into the text, I want to introduce you to some people I love, and that is my family. You'll see them here on the screen. It's my lovely wife for over 40 years. She looks like my daughter. Uh, Living with me has kept her young. Uh, That ain't true. That ain't true. Anyway, uh, and we have 11 wonderful grandchildren uh, and so, interesting thing about our family. By the way, my daughter's a hairdresser. I'm not her main customer, but she's good. If you're ever uh, down to Virginia, check her out. But uh, anyway, I married a pastor's daughter. My oldest son, who's a full-time missionary to Native American youth in Wyoming and Montana, married a pastor's daughter. My middle son, who's a worship pastor in Alberta, Calgary, Alberta, is a worship pastor, and he married a pastor's daughter. And my son-in-law married a pastor's daughter. So we call that ecclesiastical inbreeding. If you live in the United States, we'd say that's like a religious West Virginia, but I'll explain that later. Nonetheless, our grandchildren have turned out fairly normal, and we're grateful for that. They love Jesus, being raised in godly homes, and it is all the grace of God that our kids are all in full-time ministry, and I'm so, so very grateful and proud of them. We would love to, uh, just on a free basis, if it's of help to you, encourage you in your ongoing prayer life. We actually have an app now. We've entered the 21st century. It's a great thing. Uh, And it's just under strategic renewal. You see the SR there. You go look for that on Apple or Google Play. And how it might help you is there are a number of prayer guides helping you pray out of the scripture. 
Uh, I'm about, I don't know, maybe a third of the way through the Psalms leading in a 10-minute prayer out of a Psalm that you can listen to if you're up late and need to kind of catch up on your prayer life on the way to work. Uh, there's an opportunity to join into some, some live prayer events and other resources that we just hope will be of help to you, and we'd love to continue to partner with you, and you have been such a, a wonderful partnering church with us over these years. Well, I know you've been standing, but I love to stand again in honor of God and his word, so would you stand with me? First John chapter 3, verses 19 through 24. I'll read it aloud. You follow along as we prepare for this time of worship through the Word of God. Beginning verse 19, John writes this, by this we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our hearts before him. For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and he knows everything. And beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God, and whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. And this is his commandment, that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ. What a joy today to be celebrating that together in song and now in truth. And we love one another just as he has commanded us. And whoever keeps his commandments abides in God and God in him, and by this we know that he abides in us by the Spirit whom he has given us. Would you pray with me one more time? So now, Father, in Jesus' name and by your Spirit who wrote this word, who lives in the hearts of believers, who explains it to us in a way that it is meaningful and life-changing, we commit this time to you, Lord. Help your servant. I glory in my own inadequacy, and I thank you that Jesus is able today to do things in us, for us, and through us that will bring glory to his name, and so, God, may the living word of God, the seed of that word, fall on fertile soil today in our hearts and bring forth fruit that will encourage us, that will produce transformation, and that will empower us as agents of the gospel in a world in need. And we commit this to you now for the sake of your son, the advancement of his kingdom. And all God's people said, amen, amen. You may be seated. Such a joy to share with the men yesterday. And interestingly enough, I told them that some of our greatest lessons come of our deep, deepest pain. Some of you guys may remember that. Well, ironically, my opening illustration is also from one of my deepest moments. In fact, the same chapter of my life, but I think it's so helpful as we prepare for the passage today. At the age of 30, I was called to be the senior pastor of a, a very large church in Northern California. I followed a predecessor who had been there for 28 years. And he was forced to resign after the revelation that in eight of those final years, there had been infidelity. And so it really kind of rocked that whole area. Uh, I happened to be there as long as he was because I was there four years. But in dog years, it equaled his 28 years. Some of you have been there, done that, right? But it was a hard situation, especially for a wise, experienced 30-year-old. And one of the dynamics of that was that the church was involved when I arrived in a $25 million lawsuit over a church discipline case. So one of the joys I had was jumping in and trying to untangle that spaghetti. I'll never forget the first meeting we had with this man who was suing the church. We met at his home with several elders. He was independently wealthy, so he was bankrolling his lawsuit personally. He was obstinate, angry, impossible to reason with. And about two hours into the conversation, one of our elders, normally a very reasoned and self-controlled guy, got up from the sofa, walked to the door, and as he exited, he yelled at the top of his lungs, emotions have no brains. 
And he left us there for the next hour to live out what he had just announced. Emotions. God made us with the beauty of the emotions that we have and sometimes the burden of the emotions we're trying to navigate. It's been said that emotions are a wonderful servant but a brutal master, amen? Well, see, during those hard years, I was emotionally over the map and I'd kind of get there fairly often. Maybe you do too. But my greatest takeaway in those years of ministry, a great lesson I learned is that every day, and you'll see this on the screen, every day I must decide what I'm going to believe. Because every day you believe something. And I can either believe what I see with my eyes, just the tangible, superficial things that I can perceive with with my eyes, or I can believe what I feel with my emotions, which is often very unpredictable, subjective, and even tormenting. Or I can believe what I know to be true about God's character and his promise. And really the takeaway for me was that I would get up every day and I'd see this thing. I'd say, man, this looks bad. This feels bad. But God is good. This feels out of control. It looks out of control. But God is sovereign. And now I'm reaping things that I haven't even sown. Hurting people hurt others, as you know, right? And Lord, this just feels out of control, and it, it feels so unfair, and it looks unfair, but God, you are just, both now and in eternity. And I don't think I would have survived without the reality that every day I have to choose what I believe. And so do you. All of us, our faith gets tested. We feel discouraged by our failures, our emotions are unreliable, doubt can plague us, we're unsure maybe about our standing with God. Maybe you came in here today and the the resounding thought you're having is, man, I ain't feeling it. I don't know. Where am I in this journey of faith? Well, the theme of this whole book of 1 John is the assurance of genuine faith for those who walk in the light, those who are truly saved. So we must decide what we know to be true. In fact, the word know is used over 30 times in the book of John. The whole book was written so that we would know what we believe and we would rest our faith in what is true. And we never outlive that lesson, do we? In fact, in the text, if you have your Bible open, I hope you do, uh, you'll notice even three times right in proximity of where we've read Going up to verse 16, you'll see it. If you're accustomed to underlining things, you might want to, as I did in my Bible, I circle it and I draw a line from one to the other. But in verse 16, by this we know, or if you're in the NIV, this is how we know. You look at verse 19, by this we know, there it is again. You go down to verse 24 again, this we know, this is how we know. So we really come into this passage as one of great reassurance for the emotional roller coaster we tend to live on, delivering us from spiritual navel gazing and helping us to really root our faith in the things we know to be true. And by the way, if I were to ask you how many of you ever just wondered where you are in your faith, felt doubts, it would be unanimous. Even John the Baptist, the great forerunner of Jesus, you may know, just before he's about to get his head chopped off, he sent his disciples back, hey, just check in with him one more time. I want to make sure it's a real deal because I'm about to give my life, right? And Jesus said, go back and tell them what you hear and what you see, what is evidently true to you. There are times we need to do the same thing. So why do we doubt? Well, I'm glad you asked. Again, you always ask good questions when I preach, and I appreciate it. Look at verse 20, if you will. We're going to go back and walk through the whole text, but I want you to see what verse 20 says. Our heart condemns us. Did you catch that as we read? 
See, there are times our heart condemns us. Some versions use the word conscience, but that's a different Greek word. This is a word that appears over 150 times in the Bible, in the New Testament specifically. The heart, the Greek word is cardia. That sounds familiar, doesn't it? Cardiac. Cardiac arrest. Tim Keller defines the heart in this way. He says, it is the seat of the mind, will, and emotions all together. He says that the heart produces emotions, the heart thinks, the heart wills, and he states most fundamentally, the heart puts its trust in things. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, trust in the what? The Lord with all your heart, right? And so again, we're, we're back to this daily decision. What am I going to trust in? What am I going to believe? What decision am I going to make about my faith? And so as we look at this passage, uh, this is very real. Because some of us, depending on our background, just have a hard time with assurance. Uh, maybe we just have just struggles with just the emotional realities of life, and we need this reassurance. And by the way, you're in good company, because it's true for all of us. John Piper says it this way, and I love the way he wrote it. He says, my feelings are not God. Would you agree with that? God is God. My feelings do not define truth. God's word defines truth. My feelings are echoes and responses to what my mind perceives. And sometimes, many times, aren't you glad he's able to say that? And I agree, my feelings are out of sync with the truth. And when that happens, it happens every day in some measure. I try not to bend the truth to justify my imperfect feelings, but rather I plead with God, purify my perceptions of your truth and transform my feelings so that they are in sync with the, what? The truth. That's the heartbeat of this epistle. And it's the core message of this passage that we look at. So when we doubt, what do we know? And we're still in verse 20. I want you to see this key thought. We know this, God is greater than our heart and he knows everything. Say that with me. God is greater than our heart and he knows everything. Aren't you grateful there's a reality greater than our emotions and our subjective thoughts and our ups and downs? And that reality is God and he knows everything. Now, one commentator said there are at least 10 different ways to understand this passage. Well, that's encouraging when you're trying to preach, right? We're going to pick the one that I think is the right one, and certainly a helpful one as we look at it. When some commentators, notable ones, have looked at this passage, God is greater than our heart and knows everything, it's almost in a condemning sense, like, yeah, you messed up, but God knows you're really a mess up. Lord, I feel bad. I feel like a loser. Oh, you don't know what kind of loser you really are, right? And some of you are raised by dads or parents in that way, and you're just going to filter this passage in that regard. But the theme of this passage is really the idea of reassurance we're going to see. In fact, it's in verse 19, reassuring our hearts. Now, let me just add, there is a place for Holy Spirit conviction, right? Aren't you glad the Holy Spirit doesn't let you get away with your sin? I mean, the mark of a true believer, you sin and, and he convicts you. He doesn't condemn you, he convicts you. You see, there's the dark side, the accuser of the brethren, Satan. He doesn't convict you, he accuses you, and he condemns you. And the net result is it's always very general, and you just feel bad, and it drives you further away from God, which is his goal. But the Holy Spirit convicts us. It's always very specific. 
And it leads to confession, 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins to him, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Why? Because he wants the relationship more than we do. And he'll convict us and draw us to himself and forgive us and, again, restore that intimacy. And so we have to distinguish between just guilt and condemnation and real spiritual conviction. But in this case... The fact that God is greater than our heart and knows everything is for the point of assurance and encouragement. It was John Stott who said it this way, the emphatic purpose of this whole paragraph, you're going to love this, is to heal the condemned heart, not open its wound wider, but to give assurance and not to strike terror. So God is greater than our hearts, the ups and downs of our emotions, and he knows everything. What does he know about you? I'm glad you asked. Let's look back at the Bible, all right? It's long. It's on the, on the screen. But this is perhaps the, the ultimate passage that reminds us of what God, who's greater than our heart, knows about us. Psalm 139. Oh, Lord, you have searched me and what? Known me. You what? You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You understand my thought from afar off. You scrutinize my path and my lying down. You are intimately acquainted with, how many? All my ways. Even before there was a word on my tongue, O Lord, behold, you know it all. Why? Because you formed me in my inward parts. You wove me in my mother's womb. I will give thanks to you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works, and my soul knows it very well. By the way, you're wonderful in God's eyes. Tell your neighbor, you're wonderful. Yeah, some of you husbands hadn't told your wife that in a while, so I'm glad to help you out, all right? You're wonderful. That's what the Bible says. And notice what he says, my frame was not hidden from you. When I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the depth of the earth, by the way, life begins in the womb, in case you didn't notice, your eyes have seen my unformed substance, and in your book were it all written, the days that ordained for me, yet as when there was none of them, how precious are your thoughts to me, O God, how vast is the sum of them. If I should count them, they would outnumber the sand. When I awake, I am still with you. God is greater than our hearts, and he knows all things. And when you struggle and when you fail, God says, I know you. I formed you in the womb. I've saved you. I've made you my own. Don't forget it. Don't get caught up on the things you see. Don't get defeated by the things you feel. Anchor your faith in what you know to be true about me. Isn't that a beautiful thought? So now let's look at three specific things that really help us know how to respond to that doubt. Why do we doubt? Our heart condemns us. What do we know? God's greater than our heart, and he knows all things. So what do I do when I am feeling these struggles? First of all, we respond to doubt by embracing the truth of God's love for us and through us in Christ. When this service ends, as it does every week, you'll see a little phrase on the screen. What? You are loved. That's not just a throwaway deal. That's not just a feel-good add-on. That's the essence of what it means to be a child of God, to know that I am loved. So let's unpack this. Verse 19 begins with these two words, by this. What this? What are you talking about, John? Well, that kicks us back into the previous verse. So if you go back, I assume you have your Bible open, you look at verse 18, what is the this that assures us? The this that assures us where he says this, my little children, let us not love in word or in tongue, but in deed and in truth. 
So what assures us is that we have come to know real love. We experience it and we express it. That's the DNA of a true believer. Now, we fail, don't we? Some of you sitting here today, you're feeling bad already. You got mad at that dude who took your parking place out in that crowded parking lot and you gave him a little symbol that wasn't very Christian. And he's already talked to me sitting over here. You can make it right after the service. Anyway, you're sitting here, you're out of sorts with your spouse. You're feeling like a lousy parent. Got mad at your kids. You didn't help that person in need this week. You know you should have. Well, I want to tell you, when you're having cardiac arrest, God is greater than your heart. And he loves you. And he knows your failures. But we live in a world of so many confused messages when it comes to love. Some of you are sitting here today and you were raised by an abusive parent. And your feeler is just broken when it comes to understanding God's love. You tend to go back and play old tapes. Uh, maybe you blew your marriage up somewhere along the line and you just, you just can't get over that. And I want to tell you, the Lord loves you. He knows you. He understands your failures. He's a God of restoration and redemption. He's going to meet you where you are as you turn your heart to him. And you can know that love no matter what you've been through. And the world sends so many crazy messages about the love of God. A few weeks ago, David Crosby died. Uh, with Crosby, Stills, and Nash. And for those of you under 50, that's not a law firm in downtown Toronto. <laughs> but he died, and the day before he died, some of you know this, he, he re by the way, he was part of a, a rock group in the 60s. He was a long-haired hippie freak guy, all right? Just those under 50, all right. And the day before he died, he retweeted this. People with tattoos will not go to heaven. People who drink alcohol will not go to heaven. People who eat too much pork will also not go to heaven. Short people will not go to heaven. And in his retweet, he said these words, I heard that place is overrated, cloudy. Well, newsflash, David Crosby was wrong. And he probably didn't find out whether it's overrated or not because I don't think he's there. Maybe God saved him on his deathbed, but I don't know. So you're sitting here today, see? See you there? Man, I got a tattoo. God doesn't love me. I drank wine last night at dinner. Oh, I'm doomed for eternity. I eat pork. I love pork sandwiches. Oh, God doesn't love me. I'm five foot three. Oh, Lord, save me, right? <laughs> I mean, I want to tell you the truth. It's not David Crosby. When our heart condemns us, God's greater than our heart, and he knows all things. What does he know? Well, if you went back to the first verse in this chapter, see what kind of love the Father's given to us that we may be called the children of God. That's the truth, friends. You go to verse 16, really the basis of our ability to love. By this we know love because he laid down his life for us and now we ought to lay down our lives for others. Again, it's his love that has brought us into this experience of love and that empowers us now to be agents of that love in the world. Later in chapter 4, verse 19, he says, we love because we're such good folks. No, we love because, you know the verse? He first loved us. Yeah. God does not look only at the outer facts of imperfect love, but the inner fact of having been born by God. And in this chapter, he calls us children of God five times. He tells us we are beloved two times. He describes us as righteous. The, the, the Lord has made us brand new people by his love, and he has given us a supernatural capacity to experience and express that love because of the finished work of Jesus Christ that he has set upon us through the cross. 
What is love, by the way? It's probably a good point to define that because love has a million different definitions, right? Some of you already think about Valentine's Day and love is little cupids and chocolate boxes or whatever, red cards. No, that's not love. You see it on the screen. Love is an act or a life, really, of self-sacrifice that's flowing from the heart. It's produced by the Holy Spirit for the good of others and the glory of God. God so loved that he what? He gave. He just didn't feel nice, warm fuzzies. He gave. He sacrificed. And that's the love we have received, and that's the love that we live in, and that's the love we are able to express to the glory of God and for the good of others. You know, Super Bowl's coming up. I don't know if you notice that, but it's coming up. In fact, I was here for a Super Bowl a few years ago when my Seahawks gave the game away to the Patriots, and I was depressed for years. But God was greater than my heart, even though I was depressed. All right. Anyway. Um, what was I talking about before I digressed? Oh, yeah, the Super Bowl. So, you'll, you know, you'll get these sports figures or cameras, and instinctively, the camera comes on them, and maybe you know what we often say, hi, Mom. Right? Hi, Mom. Now, you notice they don't say, hi, Dad. You angry, demanding, absentee, hard-nosed grunt. <laughs> no men are like that after yesterday, by the way. They've all been changed, right? Amen, at least if they keep walking with Jesus. Now, why do they say, hi, Mom? I, I don't know. I'm not a psychologist, but here's my guess. Because that's the one that gave them birth. That's the one that changed their diaper. That's the one that fed them as they were babies. That's the one that bought their clothes. That's the one that made sure they had their lunchbox. That's the one that has stayed with them through thick and thin. Because when you have seen and experienced sacrificial love, your heart continues to resonate with gratitude for that, right? For the believer, sure, it's hi, Mom. I would say, hi, Mom. I love my mom. But for the believer, it's, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. You have loved me when I was unlovable. You love me when I mess up. Your love for me is constant, even when I don't pass it on to others. Lord, you love me even when I'm mean to my kids, when I'm grumpy with my spouse. You love me when I fail to share the gospel, and I know I should, but you still love me. You can't stop loving me. You don't love me because of who I am. You love me because of who you are, and you can't help yourself. You've put your love upon me in Christ. So instead of, hi, mom, we say, I could sing of your love forever. Our voices rise up saying, oh, love of God, how rich and pure, how measureless and strong. It shall forevermore endure the saints and angels' song. Your love never fails, never gives up, never runs out on me, right? That's the song of the believer. That's the truth, friends. That's what fills our hearts day after day, moment after moment. So... You know, on a point like this, we just got to stop and tell the Lord. So I got a little prayer prompt up here, and we're just going to pray. I don't have any mood music or anything, but we're just going to pray here in the quietness of the moment. And I don't know about you, but my heart resonates with this. Lord, thank you that even though I, how would you fill in that blank the day before him? Even though I, it does not change the truth of your love for me. Would you just right now from your heart to his give him gratitude? Lord, thank you. Thank you. Even though I, even though I doubt, even though sometimes I don't feel it, even though I fail to show your love, even though, Lord, I play old tapes of previous situations that aren't true, you still love me. Would you sing with me a little chorus? I think you'll know it. You're a good, good father. It's who you are. It's who you are, 
It's who you are, and I'm loved by you. It's who I am. It's who I am. It's who I am. Aren't you grateful for his love? I got to just read another verse. I, just, I can't get past this. I didn't do this last hour, but the Lord just said, you got you to share this. It's the word of God. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? He goes on to say, shall tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, or sword? I'm guessing in all those cases, that would affect my emotions. Having a sword pointed at my neck, not being able to find food to eat. Uh, all kinds of troubles. Oh man, when the roller coaster starts all over again, the navel gazing starts to kick in. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? He goes on to say, knowing all these things were more than conquerors through him who loved us. Romans 8. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, or rulers, things present, things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any else in all creation will be able to separate us from the, what? The love of God that is in Christ Jesus. Amen? That's what we believe. So tomorrow morning, you got a choice to make. I believe what I see with my eyes on the news and the newspaper. I believe what I'm feeling, my emotions, or do I believe what I know to be true? The second way we respond to our doubt is by embracing the truth of God's answer to our believing and loving prayers. Pick up with me verse 21 through 23. Beloved, ah, there we are again, that's who we are. You know what beloved means, loved by God, right? So he's reassuring them again. Beloved, now, if our heart does not condemn us, when, when we realize God's greater than our heart, he's speaking truth to us. And that no matter our ups and downs, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. When we are in that proper frame of mind, we have confidence before God. What's he referring to? He's referring to the instinctive cry of the believer's heart, and that is prayer. It's natural to pray, to call out to God. And whatever he says we ask, we receive from him. Now, don't stop there, by the way, if you're praying for the winning lottery ticket or whatever, right? So don't stop there. Here's where it goes. Because, all right, because what? We keep his commandments and do what pleases him. If you read the book of 1 John, he basically makes it very clear, a real believer, this is who they are. They keep his commandments and they do what pleases him. It's not about the words we say, it's about the heart behind our words, that the mark of a true believer has confidence before God and he, he cries out to God and his confidence is in the fact that, that he loves the word of God, he prays the word of God, he does what pleases God because that's the mark of a true believer and that is our confidence and this is his commandment that we believe in his name, the name of his son, and we love one another just as he has commanded us. So this is a heart that comes uncondemned, accepted, loved, treasured to a father who calls upon us to call upon his name. I love what Hebrews 4, 16 says, let us then with what? Confidence draw near to the throne of what? Grace that we may receive mercy and grace to find help in our time of need. Several of you have been so kind to thank me for the book, Transforming Prayer, and I obviously need to pray, pay George Sherman more money because he's quite a salesman here. Uh, but the essence of that book that has changed my life and changes all of our lives is, is directly attached to what this is saying. 
That, that prayer is not just seeking God's hand for the stuff we think we need. Prayer is seeking God's face because of who he is. Praying from the word of God, worshiping him first, and then aligning our heart with his kingdom and his will so that what we pray is his heart, so that what we pray is about his kingdom, so that what we pray is ultimately for our sanctification, becoming more and more like Jesus with desires, as it says, to please him. In prayer, what does it mean to please him? Well, Jesus said it well in John 14, 13. He says, whatever you ask in my name, this I will do that the Father may be glorified in the Son. And so that's such a beautiful thought. By the way, praying in Jesus' name is not just slapping three words on the end of, you know, a hope to, you know, make more money or get a better house. I mean, those may be good desires. Praying in Jesus' name is praying with the heart of Jesus. It's praying the way you, you've seen Jesus pray in the scripture. It's praying about the things that are close to his heart. Because ultimately, it's not praying so that God will change things. It's praying so that God will change us. I've said this probably here before. I say it a lot because it means a lot to me. But when it comes to prayer, your, your definition of prayer sets your destination in prayer. Let me say that again. Your definition of prayer sets your destination in prayer. This text help us, helps us define prayer, that it's coming from a, a love for the word of God, from the scriptures, with a heart that pleases God, trusting him to do his will in our lives. Many people define prayer as talking to God, just shooting up little arrows, hoping he'll arrange the universe according to my specifications for a happy life. Calvin Miller says, if that's your definition, that makes God one big ear and you're one big mouth, right? But here's the definition that's really changed my life, I think fits so well with the text, and that is, in fact, read it with me, would you? Intimacy with God that leads to the fulfillment of his purposes, right? That's what it is. What's John saying here? He's saying that as we pray, we have confidence because as we come, we are keeping his commandments, we're doing what pleases him, we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and out of this intimacy, he again is shedding his love through us to other people. Sounds a lot like two big commands, love the Lord with all your heart, and what? Love others as you love yourself. It's all about love, and the love that God produces in us, even as a fruit of our praying. Finally, we deal with doubt by embracing the truth of God's indwelling and empowering spirit. I love what I've heard Pastor Robbie say so many times, without the spirit, I'm dead. Without the spirit, I'm dead, right? Notice his final verse as we close. He says, whoever keeps his commandments, abide in God, God in him, talking about an abiding relationship, an authentic knowledge of Jesus. By this, we know that he abides in us. How? By the spirit whom he has given to us. Just a reminder, when you, if you're a believer here today, when you came to Christ and you confessed the sin that had kept you far from God and you placed your faith in Jesus, Jesus forgave you and he now gave you all the power you need to live the Christian life by taking your dark, evil, rebellious heart and transforming it to become a holy temple of his very presence. Wow, isn't that amazing? And the spirit that raised Christ from the dead now lives in us to give life to our mortal bodies. Sometimes you feel it, sometimes you don't. But I'll tell you, based upon the God's word, you know it to be true. 
The Spirit of God lives in you, and he lives in you to accomplish all of God's will through you, to give you the power to love, to give you the power to exhibit peace, love, joy, faithfulness, all of those attributes. He lives in you to give you boldness and witness even when you're not feeling it. He lives in you to unite you with other believers. He lives in you to help you even understand what we're doing here today to know the word of God, apply the word of God, live the truth of God, and live for the glory of God. Romans 8 9 says this, if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. So don't let anybody say this bill of goods that you're a Christian and you don't have the Holy Spirit. No, if you don't have the Holy Spirit, you're not a Christian. If you're a Christian, you have the Holy Spirit in you. That's the work of the cross. And in Galatians 4, 6, I love this. Because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into our hearts. Oh, I love this. Crying what? Abba, Father, Daddy, so loved by a perfect God, so assured of my prayers before him, and so empowered by his very life living in me. Well, at the end of this book, uh, just a final verse to remind you of, John said this, I write these things. He's looking back on this entire epistle, all right? I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God. Here it is, that you may, say it with me, no. Say it again, no. One more time, no. That you have eternal life. So what things is he referring to? What things has he been writing writing about? Well, again, I'm glad you asked. We just covered some of them today, didn't we? I write these things that you are loved by God and he's gonna love the world through you. That's the truth. These things are the fact that you come to God and you have the assurance of prayer because you pray from a loving and obedient heart through the work of his grace. These things are that the very spirit of God lives in you to empower you to live a supernatural life. Robbie is part of a fellowship, a global fellowship of pastors from 45 countries who have kind of just really set their hearts to a verse in the scripture, Acts 6-4, prayer and the word of God. Don't you believe every pastor should focus on that? And God's doing a great work of helping us make the main thing the main thing again. We have a thing called a global symposium periodically. Leaders from around the country jump onto a Zoom call for a couple of hours. And a few months ago, we did one, and a man named Crawford Loritz, who's probably no stranger to Hope Bible, was speaking And his opening line perhaps riveted me more than any one thought. I'm going to steal it for one of my one-liners, obviously, Robbie, in time. But uh, he said this, and I hope you'll note it. When we are born, we look like our parents. When we die, we look like our decisions. Ominous thought, isn't it? But so true. So tomorrow morning, next week when you're having a hard day, A few weeks from now, when you really kind of mess up a relationship, your heart will condemn you, but God is greater than your heart, and he knows all things. And you will rest in the truth of his love, a father who hears our prayers, and a God who is filled us with his spirit. So Lord, will I believe and root my faith in what I see, what I feel, or what I know to be true? And aren't you glad that we can know that we have eternal life? Would you bow with me in prayer? Before I pray, I would just urge some of you here today, you've come to church, you 
trying to check out religion, trying to figure out what's true. That today, if you will hear his voice, say yes to Jesus. You will know a love and a forgiveness unlike anything you have ever imagined. And even now, perhaps, his spirit and his word is stirring in your heart. And maybe for the first time ever, you realize there's a God who loves you so much, wants to change you by his power. He wants you to turn to Christ on the cross who died on your behalf to pay the penalty for all your sin and to do for you what you could never do for yourself, and that is to give you forgiveness full and free. And then, as we've said, to enter your life by his spirit and to live his life out through you in a brand new reality. And then to add to that the joy and assurance of heaven, eternity with him. So right now, I hope some of you in that place would simply say, God, I need you. I am a sinner. I hate the sin that has kept me far from you, and I know you love me. I turn to you now. I trust you and you alone for my eternal destiny and for the power to live through Jesus Christ. I receive him, and I will follow him. And now would you live in me that I will do so. And I pray today for believers who are here, again, perhaps the background of your family of origin, perhaps some experience and failures of your past have kept you in that place where you're not really understanding the truth of what we've shared today. Lord, would you set them free? Would you illumine their minds? Would you tomorrow help them realize that emotions have no brains, but that the truth can set us free day after day? So may we live in your love. May we call upon you with confident prayer. And may we be assured of your indwelling presence to live out your life through us all of our days. And we pray this for the sake and the glory of Christ and all God's people said, amen.